I'm Rosa Kay, and I'm talking with Dr. Janine Vecchio. She's the medical director of the Deborah Specialty Physicians Diabetes Center in Burlington County. We're going to call this talk Diabetes 101. Why not? So let's first start with insulin. Absolutely vital for helping cells get access to glucose. Tell us about insulin in the body. When we have normal sugar, it's help. It's due to our insulin. And when our sugar goes up, our insulin should bring our sugar down. Unfortunately, with diabetes, type 1 patients don't have that insulin ability, very little insulin to no insulin at all. Uh, And type 2, patients have a lot of insulin, but it doesn't work very well to bring the sugar down. It's very resistant. So it's a struggle for the body to use the insulin that patients have to bring their own sugar down. So this constant balancing act in people with diabetes, either type. So what is the difference then between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? So type 1 patients usually have no insulin storage. Their cells do not have insulin to bring down the sugar. Usually these patients are younger, and we see it more in children. However, as time has gone on, we have now seen patients getting it more in adulthood, where we've noticed medication pills alone aren't working. And sometimes we're finding that patients who are older are getting type 1 as well. Type 2 patients can get by with pills, usually in the beginning, but the pills may over time not work as well. And then sometimes they will end up on insulin too, just to help. May not need insulin with each meal or at one time a day, but they can also utilize pills in some instances with that as well. Just giving some medications that help that insulin resistance break or bring down the sugar smoothly, it's usually the difference. Who is at risk for type 1 or type 2? How does the the risk factor break down? Usually type 2, if you're overweight, sedentary, if you had a family history, different ethnicities, if you had gestational diabetes, that meaning that you were pregnant and got diabetes during pregnancy, your chance of getting diabetes afterwards is high as well. Um, There's a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome that some women have. They're also at risk for diabetes. Type 1 is usually not those risk factors are usually thinner. There may or may not be a family history or a sibling, but it's more of an autoimmune process. So in, in families that may have autoimmune disorders or groups of autoimmune disorders, sometimes we see that as well. Certainly in type 1, generally prevention is, is not really a factor. But type 2, there are ways you can prevent it. Maintaining a good weight, eating a good diet, balanced diet. This doesn't mean you have to avoid carbs totally. You just can't have as many carbs You have to do things in moderation, proportionary size, watch your intake of sweets, sodas, things like that, and see your doctor regularly, make sure you get checkups, as there is a condition called prediabetes as well, where you may not have diabetes now, but if you don't control these factors with maybe lifestyle modification, you could end up with overt diabetes or diagnosed with diabetes. Do you think people don't take the pre-diabetes diagnosis seriously enough? Sometimes I have concerns with that, yes. I think that we hear, oh, this can be done, that can be done, and it's not going to happen to me. But unfortunately, it sometimes it could happen overnight. A week later, we, we could see a sugar, and I've had patients come back in two months, and their sugar is now in the diabetic range. It happens. We don't know who it's going to happen to. So if you can try to prevent things ahead of time by doing lifestyle modification, that has also been found very effective. Sometimes we can offer medications to patients who have the pre-diabetes as well if they want to go that route. However, most patients want to do do the healthy way and not have to take a medication. And that that would stay with you lifelong. If you make those healthy choices now, that's also going to help you long-term to prevent um, overt diabetes. 
We talk about diabetes as a manageable situation, meaning that if you are diagnosed with it, you are going to have to manage it the rest of your life. But there are far more serious implications to having diabetes. So go ahead and scare us straight about what diabetes is linked to later in life. If you do not have good control of your blood sugar, it can affect your eyes. You can get a condition known as retinopathy, where your blood vessels not in the front of your eye that you see, but behind your eye, um, you can damage those and it can lead to blindness. We can also have kidney damage from the high sugar and some patients end up on dialysis. We also have um, vascular complications that can occur. So if you have decreased blood flow to your feet and you get a cut on your foot, you may not heal as well as somebody else. And sometimes that's an amputation risk as well. So the decreased circulation is a concern. Being here at Deborah, being part of this center, we have the ability to help treat not only with the diabetes, but we have vascular and cardiac doctors as well because you can get those complications too, heart attack, stroke. So we want, you know, we're here to help and try to get your sugars down to prevent those things. So it has very systemic implications. Yes, So it can affect, and also your nerves, you know, the diabetic neuropathy, which is a condition where you may have burning, tingling in your feet. If you get something like that, it may or may not be reversible depending on how far the damage has become. And it can be for some patients intolerable. So it's best to try to treat things early, keep your sugar down and maintain a healthy lifestyle. There's been a lot of research about an increased risk of developing cancer or having a higher risk of dying from cancer if you're lucky enough to be a diabetic and diagnosed with some form of cancer. How does that work? We do know that there uh, patients with diabetes are at risk of cancer. We've seen evidence of some bladder cancer being at risk. Unfortunately, sometimes we also have to be concerned if When someone who develops diabetes who may not have a risk factor, we do have to consider, do they have pancreatic cancer, which is a condition that their insulin is not going to work. They may have some, but it's not going to work as well. And some patients may have that, so it may trigger your doctor or your endocrinologist to look for something like that as well. Treatment, too, with cancers, um, different types, you may be put on steroids during that treatment with your chemotherapy, and that time as well, your sugar may go high. So it's all somehow connected. Having diabetes is a risk factor for cancer. You could have a cancer and maybe not have diabetes, but get treated with something that causes it. There are rare cancers that produce hormones that make you have high sugar. So there's a lot of things to always look at with that. So our understanding of diabetes cause and effects evolving. We certainly have become very educated to how the symptoms of a heart attack are different in men and women. Diabetes, in terms of the symptomology, Do men experience the ramp up differently than women? And once it's diagnosed, are the impacts different in men and women? Unfortunately, some men don't go to the doctor as much as a woman does. That has been known in a lot of endocrine conditions, and we see that, and that's why some things are diagnosed at different times. Usually, they can have symptoms that are similar, and that's usually increased thirst, increased urination, blurry vision. Weight loss is a big factor as well. And again, uh, women may have more risk for heart disease with having the diabetes as well. Now, when they're having symptoms of a heart attack, patients with diabetes may not have the same symptoms that you, uh, you would that someone who, who has heart disease has, such as the crossing chest pain. They may feel nausea instead or just not feel right. And we have seen that as well. The symptoms of diabetes, at what point do you have to say, 
okay, it's it's not just a hot, humid day, and and I'm tired and and sweaty and uh, thirsty for perfectly logical reasons. At what point do you have to really take it seriously? So I think pa- most patients know that something's not right. They've no- they'll notice themselves getting up more frequently to urinate at night to- and not sleeping as well. They may not see things, reading things as clearly. So subtle signs. I think you know yourself very. We all know ourselves well, and we can just subtle things that may change. And I think that those are signals to get something checked out. If you haven't been to the doctor in a while and to get a general physical, that's important to do as well. And and usually with most routine physicals and blood work, sugar is checked fasting, and that should be looked at. Don't ignore the signs. And especially if patients who've had diabetes gestationally when they were pregnant, if those symptoms are occurring, they should definitely get checked out. I'm Rasa Kay, and I'm talking with Dr. Janine Vecchio. She's an endocrinologist and the medical director of the Deborah Specialty Physicians Diabetes Center in Burlington County. Well, I guess I really wanted to emphasize this because especially with type 2 diabetes, which is something that tends to have a later in life onset, that's also when people are saying, well, I'm getting older. So stuff is just not working quite as well. Just don't ignore it. Your body's trying to tell you something. There's times that you could have these subtle symptoms way before, almost years before you could ever have an official diagnosis of diabetes. You don't want to get to that point. The outcome can put you in a critical condition if you ignore this early symptoms. You could end up actually very dehydrated. Some people pass out because of the high sugar. If you have subtle signs to begin with and you don't think that's how you normally behave, you should have it looked at. Knowing your numbers, so many health issues require some form of knowing your numbers. So what are the numbers in diabetes? Do numbers like cholesterol have anything to to do with it? So the goal, the A1C is a three-month average of your sugar. So it actually is over three, three months looking at what's going on. So if you were high the first two months in diagnosis, but over the last month have done better, it's going to average out. So your A1C may still be a little bit high at first with diagnosis. But as the numbers get better, that will improve. So we want it under seven. It depends also now on your age. If you're older, we worry about maybe too low of a sugar, actually, so we don't want to push it too far. But if we try to keep the A1C under 7, we know that that would help prevent long-term complications. The ideal sugar should be 80 to 120 in the morning and less than 180 all day, depending on the situation. Ideally, 140 if, if you can tolerate it, depending on your age, comorbidities, things like that. Definitely cholesterol is an issue. Diabetes is an equivalent risk factor for heart disease. So we work to make sure that you are on some medication or diet plan to keep your cholesterol down as well. So we may not be checking our cholesterol every day, but you talked about all kinds of check-ins on your numbers. So how does that happen? And what are your options for checking your numbers? To check your finger sticks, you can get a glucometer or a meter. Most insurance plans do cover them, or you can get them locally at your pharmacy. And that's just a little device that comes with a Lancet device that uses a little needle to prick your finger to get the blood to check your sugar. If your sugar is not very well controlled, we ask that you check a lot more. If it's better controlled, you can probably check less frequently or not, not up to four times a day just to have an idea of a pattern, just so we can see a pattern of what's going on. If you check once a day, we tend to lose what's going on during the daytime, and that may give us a lot of information. For example, if your A1C is 8, but every morning you wake up 110, something's happening during the daytime that we need to know to make things better, and it would maybe result in an adjustment of your medication. Let's talk about medications. What's in your toolbox? We've always had pills for the type 2 
with obviously with type one, because you don't have enough insulin, you need to take insulin to maintain life. So um, we have those options. And those have been our older drugs of choice. We have newer drugs now that work different ways. One increases your urine output of sugar. We also have one that blocks an enzyme from breaking down a hormone we all make when we eat. Um, So it keeps it more active and it helps us with our sugar load after we eat. We also have injectables now that help suppress your appetite, help you lose the weight, and also contribute to a lower sugar. As a physician, I would prefer that we try to keep the sugar down without medication. If we could, to take many pills a day can be cumbersome and overwhelming. The longer we can keep the sugar down, the better the long-term outcome would be. However, sometimes we don't have that luxury. We have to hit hard and hit fast to get the sugar down because there may have been a complication such as a heart attack. There may have been a complication such as a foot amputation. So we may have to work a little bit more aggressively in the beginning to get the sugar down. However, that does not mean that once the sugar is down, we cannot make adjustments to your regimen, that there be a possibility of that and maybe come off of some of the medications. So when we talk about exercise and diet and, and eating right, all of that, how much weight do you generally want people to lose? Are there foods that are essentially off limits for the rest of your life? Just usually about 5% of your body weight does make a big difference to lose that. So that is key. Most patients panic and they go on these very hard and fast diets that are not going to be sustainable lifelong. So if you learn to make better food choices in the beginning with better portion control, watching your carbohydrate intake, your fried foods, that's what's going to keep with you. Unfortunately, you need carbs for brain function, so you do have to have some Really, there's nothing off limits. You just have to modify, if I want this piece of bread, I may not have this pasta with it. If I want a piece of cake later, I may not have bread now. There's ways to not take in so much to spike the sugar. But if you maintain that pattern, that's going to stay with you rather than a fast diet, these diets that are all promoted. What's new and exciting in the world of diabetes management and treatment? The biggest thing that has come out is the continuous glucose monitors, which are devices that patients can wear if they are approved through their insurance company and to check their sugar. So now we've eliminated that need to test your finger stick, which sometimes can, one, hurt patients, and two, be overwhelming during the day to have to check four times a day. So that has helped greatly for us to get patterns of sugar. Some patients wear them because they can't sense when they're dropping their sugar, which is dangerous. So that has helped as well. With these sensors, some insulin pumps have now um, have a closed loop system, meaning that if it senses your sugar is going low, the pump will shut off for a period of time and help you to get your sugar back up. Or if your sugar is running too high, it notifies you to that you may need some adjustment. So a continuous glucose meter, what is the experience for the patient? Are they carrying around a lot of equipment? Is it something strapped on? Is it something that is less than a finger stick? So usually the sensor is placed once a week. Then it is placed with a small needle that is retracted, and a little piece of plastic will stay in your, in your skin to register your sugars over time. And you do have to periodically check with a finger stick to make sure that your sensor and your meter are reading the same. But however, it avoids you having to check four times a day. You can just use your sensor to see your pattern. Some of the sensors come up on a screen continuously so you can see your pattern. Like you'll know every day after lunch I go low or every day after lunch I spike up and you'll know how to adjust your insulin. Some of the newer sensors don't have it where it's continuous or ding when you are going in the wrong direction. Some just let you continuously wave a wand over it to read where you're at. That way you can still get your pattern, but you don't have to jab your finger. Patients prefer that sometimes. 
And I would think for monitoring, if you've got a young child or an elderly relative who just doesn't have the wherewithal to be checking their own numbers, does this allow then a caregiver to, to keep track of all of this? With some of the sensors, not all of them, but some of them, you can have it connected to your phone and you can share that code. So if, for example, I have a patient that I want to make sure is okay, I can actually download what they've done and they can upload it home. But if they, if we have a patient who may not be able to be alone and take care of their own sugars, but wear a sensor and a, a family member has to go to work, that person can get the readings onto their cell phone. So you can share it to someone else's cell phone as well, depending on what sensor you have. Not all of these are capable, but that is something as well. And they'll notify, okay, my family member's going low. I better give them a call, make sure they're treating their low sugar. What else has got you jazzed about things that are in the pipeline? I think the biggest thing is the, the closed loop system. And hopefully we'll have more of that in going forward in the future where it functions like the pancreas. When our sugar's high, there's some pumps that auto-regulate, that they release more insulin. When we're going low, it would shut off or adjust. We do have one pump system now that kind of does that. And it has actually helped a lot of patients who were very brittle or had very uncontrolled brittle variable sugars. They would be up, down. They didn't know they were dropping. So that I think we'll have more of those going forward. When we eat, we should release insulin to bring down our sugar. Our body will at some point stop releasing or maintain a certain level of insulin so we don't drop. But unfortunately, when you do, do not have that insulin on board, we have to use an insulin pump to help that. So we're basically trying to simulate what the body's doing. With these new systems, you wear a sensor, you also wear a pump, and they communicate. So as I stated, the body is in a very delicate balance, and our insulin knows to do that. In the past, we used to have pumps where you had to put in certain rates all the time, and you'd had different rates, and the pump, you would program it. Now, because of the sensor feeding back to the pump, it's telling it what to do to almost behave like the, it's the body. So we don't always have to adjust those rates. The pump is doing it over time. It develops almost like an algorithm of what your body's doing over a few days and does it itself. It's a way going forward. Right now, it's usually for type 1 patients that this particular pump is approved for, but we've seen a success rate with it because it's, it's picking up data over time and working well with what the body is doing. This is only approved for type 1. So you're thinking that down the road, this might be something that insurance will cover for type 2? We are hoping that. We are hoping that because that would help the type 2 patients as well. There And there are some type 2 patients on pumps. It doesn't mean that if you, you have type 1 versus type 2, you cannot be on a pump. Some patients find it more easily to use than having to inject four times a day. They'd rather have the pump with type 2. Because usually with type 2 diabetes, you're on a higher amount of insulin. It's a lot of injections. But again, our insurance companies to approve is, is another challenge. Tell me about the Diabetes Center at Deborah and what the patient experience is like coming to you guys. We are the American Diabetes Association accredited, meaning that we do offer classes. The classes are usually two, three-hour sessions. That is something usually we do after you first come for an evaluation 
Or if your family doctor wants to refer you for classes, that's fine as well. But if you come and see me, you will see our diabetic educator first, who will go through some things and try to get a sense of where things are at with your understanding of diabetes, with our understanding of what's going on, so that we can help give you the proper medication, the proper treatment, and come up with a, a plan. Then I would, I would come into the room and see you and try to see what meds you're on and, and how we can go from there. What could we add? What could we take away? What would you benefit from? And then we do have a nutritionist who is there as well. Some patients stop all, everything, and that's not necessary usually to do, who can help us with manage a better diet or um, portion control. I just feel the biggest things are, one, don't avoid your symptoms. If you have a family history, if you have the symptoms of blurry vision, increase their weight loss, don't ignore them, see a physician. If you just don't feel like yourself, you know something is up, go get it checked out and don't panic about it. There's help out there. Most people get nervous and stop everything. There's no need to do that. You just have to learn what to do in education, which is very key. So we do have a diabetes educator on site. We offer classes in nutrition. Together, you work as a team to keep things in goal. But the biggest thing is I always say, don't panic. It seems overwhelming at first, but it will get better with time and seeing your physician and getting things checked out. So if somebody wanted to check out the Diabetes Center at Deborah, how would they find you, Dr. Vecchio? They can go online to demanddeborah.org. I'm Rosa Kay, and this has been a talk with Dr. Janine Vecchio, the medical director of the Deborah Specialty Physicians Diabetes Center in Burlington County.